justice for Dante Patrick four years after this little boy's killing, first-degree murder charges are laid. Plus... My goal is to have sidewalks in every street in the city. New comments from the mayor and the construction company after a collision with a dump truck claims the life of a Burnaby teenager. And... We can't afford it, right? So then where do we go? Protesting a proposed plan for Vancouver's Broadway corridor and why they say it's a fight for the soul of the city. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Charges have been laid in a boy's death that rocked a Vancouver Island community. You're going to drive a fire truck? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're going to be a fireman? Dante Lucas Patrick was just six years old when he died. He was found in medical distress inside a Port Alberni home in March of 2018. Dante Patrick was rushed to hospital but could not be saved. Police say early on they thought the death was suspicious. This weekend, after four years of investigation, a major break in the case. Friday evening, police arrested two people identified by the New Chalneth Tribal Council as Dante's stepmother and stepfather. 28-year-old Reichel Frank and 29-year-old Mitchell Frank face first-degree murder charges. He's still loved. He'll always be remembered. And each and every one of his siblings love him. His step-siblings, his little sisters that never got to meet him. I tell my kids all the time, well, that's your brother, that's your brother Dante. The New Chalmers Tribal Council says it's relieved charges have been laid but are not happy it took four years to get to this point. Police are expected to release more details about the case at a news conference on Monday. A construction company says it will look for new routes for its trucks after a 14-year-old girl was hit and killed this week in Burnaby. The girl died Thursday afternoon as she walked home from school along 11th Avenue, a street without sidewalks where neighbors say heavy traffic circulates all day. The construction firms at the site released a statement Saturday saying they, quote, understand the tragedy may have involved a dog who ran out of a yard and startled the victim. But the companies say that information doesn't change their commitment to do everything they can to mitigate the risk to people in the community. The mayor of Burnaby says a solution must be found. Our staff did go out and make some adjustments to traffic patterns and, and other things earlier in the year. Now, if that's not enough, if there's something more we need to do that could have prevented this accident, and then we'll immediately do that and, and, and work with the community to ensure that they're feeling safe. RCMP say the driver did remain on scene and is cooperating with investigators. A man suspected of assaulting a teenage girl on a transit bus has now been arrested. Transit police released security video of the incident. It happened on a 335 bus headed to Newton Exchange on April 1st. It shows a man near a 17-year-old and then, for no apparent reason, punching her several times in the head. Following multiple tips from the public, transit police say the man was identified and arrested last night at his home. The 46-year-old faces one count of assault and was released on conditions, including a no-go on any Coast Mountain bus. He's set to appear in court on July 10th. 
Families who are seeking changes to B.C.'s wrongful death laws are using this Mother's Day weekend to call for better accountability. As Paul Johnson reports, they marched to the Attorney General's office in Vancouver, hoping their message is getting through. My son Nathaniel passed away at Lionsgate Hospital due to negligence from the staff. Emily Nagabon only got eight and a half hours with Nathaniel. The story of his birth reads like a textbook case of alleged medical malpractice. We expected to bring our newborn son home, which we will never be able to due to the decisions taken by this hospital. Many in her situation would seek justice through the civil courts. But British Columbians, like Emily, are frequently shocked when they learn what their rights really are. Their lives, in the eyes of the law, have no value. It's a quirk in our English common law tradition that in B.C., family members can only sue for damages in a wrongful death case for the purpose of replacing the income of a breadwinner who has died. It's out of step with other provinces that have updated their laws. And as the activists who gathered in Vancouver Saturday say, in 2022, it's out of sync with our values. I said, screw you, I can sue. My daughter was worth something. And they said, no, you cannot. Yeah, it's a hole in the law is what it is. And um, B.C. is the worst of a bad law. Many here lost a loved one due to medical errors. Others in vehicular mishaps, they say, were clearly due to negligence. The ability to sue, they say, not only offers justice to the bereaved, but incentivizes safety and vigilance in our institutions and companies. Marching on the constituency office of B.C. Attorney General David Eby, the group is demanding the government update the province's wrongful death laws. Eby wasn't there but in a statement said he understands the injustice of the issue and the government intends to reform the Family Compensation Act. When and how, though, is unknown. And for now, those bereaved live with the fact that our legal system assigns no monetary value to someone like Nathaniel. I find it completely repugnant that a child is considered worthless. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. The suspect in a sledgehammer break-in at a Vancouver antique store has been sentenced as the province launches an investigation into a surge in crime connected to repeat offenders. In early March, the owner of a source antiques on Main Street discovered a sledgehammer hidden in a grocery bag the day after a man was arrested in her store during an overnight break-in. 50-year-old Francis Joseph Boyvin, who has been in and out of jail since 1998 with 75 convictions, was charged with break-and-enter and theft. He pleaded guilty to possessing stolen property and was sentenced to one day in jail and 12 months probation. The B.C. government, in cooperation with the Urban Mayor's Caucus, has hired two experts to probe prolific offenders and random violent attacks and report back within 120 days. A Surrey man is facing several charges after allegedly causing a multi-vehicle collision near Vancouver's Olympic Village last month while trying to flee from police. Mohamed Havid Haroun was arrested on April 5th after the VPD says he fled a traffic stop near Main and Terminal and struck multiple vehicles before crashing into a building near Quebec and East 2nd Avenue. Police say the 29-year-old was wanted on 10 Canada-wide warrants at the time, including firearms, 
firearms and drug trafficking charges. Three people in two of the vehicles hit were injured. Haroon is accused of assaulting a peace officer, fleeing police, two counts of dangerous driving causing bodily harm, and using a forged document. He is due in Vancouver Provincial Court on May 18th. After crashing into an officer's vehicle in West Kelowna early this morning, an SUV plowed through the window of a Subway sandwich shop. It was just before 1 a.m. when a marked police car driving along Main Street in West Kelowna was T-boned by a Dodge Durango that ran a stop sign. The Durango then slammed into the shop where the driver was immediately arrested. RCMP believe the 30-year-old man was impaired. His passenger, a 20-year-old man, was taken to hospital with minor injuries. An officer also had minor injuries. RCMP are searching for a West Vancouver woman who mysteriously went missing while traveling on the Trans-Canada Highway. 53-year-old Xiao Hua Zhang, who also goes by Christina, was last seen in West Vancouver on April 27th. On May 2nd, her gray 2021 Toyota Highlander was found abandoned on Highway 1 between Revelstoke and Golden. Police searched the surrounding area but found no trace of Zhang. She's about 5 foot 4, 110 pounds and was last seen wearing a blue and black jacket and gray yoga pants. Anyone who spots Zhang is asked to call 911 and stay with her until help arrives. And a warning for some drivers this weekend with snow expected to fall on some mountain passes until Monday. Meteorologist Yvonne Shell is joining us now. So Yvonne, what areas are we talking about here? In the interior, most of the mountain passes, but the big concern will really be in towards the Kootenai Pass. And the timeline is really now leading in towards our Monday. So a heads up, you'll want to check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions. Kootenai Pass could see that potential, yes, anywhere between 20 and potentially up to 30 centimeters of snow. Other mountains passes included with in that will be the Coquihalla if you're traveling along uh, Hope to Merritt, as well as the Allison Pass and the Connector. We've got a special weather statement. But the snowfall warning is for the Kootenai Pass with a significant amount of snow. Most of the other mountain passes, that freezing level will be sitting closer to the summit where we could see flurries. It could be brief, localized at times. But this is really a heads up. If you're traveling along the, any of the mountain passes, we could see some winter driving-like conditions. Also tracking some snow for areas near Fort Nelson. I'll have that in your Mother's Day forecast coming up very shortly. Nithu. All right, important advice. There. Thanks very much, Yvonne. And still ahead, honoring Vancouver's militant mothers of Raymer. How the rail blockade victory is being marked 50 years later. Plus, a bittersweet basketball celebration for an urban Indigenous hoops team marking a big tournament win. A local women's team celebrating today after their recent historic win at the largest Indigenous basketball tournament in North America. We've made history. Vancouver's never won it, so we made history this year after COVID, after such a hard time with COVID. It's just, it's just beautiful. It's the first time a Vancouver team has taken home the championship at the All-Native Tournament in Prince Rupert last month. The All My Relations team created with the goal of growing Indigenous representation in sport, marking the victory at a Mother's Day tournament being held this weekend in Vancouver. But the moment is bittersweet as one of the players is a relative of Chelsea Poorman, whose remains were found at a vacant Vancouver mansion on April 22nd, a year and a half after she went missing. LaShawn Speck says the family is fighting for a full investigation as her cause of death remains undetermined and the VPD says there's no evidence of foul play. I'm playing this weekend in 
you know, for her and for our family to, you know, just be here. And, and it's such medicine. We want to know the answers. We want to know what happened to her. She was vulnerable. She couldn't walk without her brace. She is asking for public support and advocating for a fulsome investigation into Chelsea Poorman's death while thanking everyone who helped in the search, including her teammates. She says the team is about more than basketball. It's a sisterhood built on community and culture. It has been more than 50 years since a group of mostly single mothers from East Vancouver fought the city and two railways for a safe crossing for their children. Kristen Robinson has more on the grassroots win and how a pandemic-delayed community event is honoring the militant mothers of Raymer a half-century later. Pedestrians using the overpass between Kiefer Street and Raymer Avenue in Vancouver's Strathcona neighborhood may not realize being able to safely cross the tracks here was a hard-fought victory. There's tremendous solidarity amongst the women who stood in the end together, and that was really nice. It's something you don't forget. I just remember me and Carolyn coming home after a PTA meeting, and we both said, look, what about these tracks? When the Raymer Place housing project was built more than five decades ago, the busy Canadian National and Great Northern Rail tracks ran between it and Seymour Elementary two blocks east. Kids had to dodge trains to get to school. The kids, we saw them climbing under the trains to go to school, so we knew it was a danger. The mothers of Raymer asked the city and rail companies for a pedestrian overpass. After months of inaction and promises trains would not run when students were walking to and from school, 25 women, including Sheila Turgeon and Carolyn Jerome, took to the tracks in January 1971 and shut down the railroad. The we want some honest proof that these time schedules are going to be kept. No. And we're not leaving till that's done. The Canadian National uh, gives its word categorically. We took Furter's word, we took Matheson's word, now you want us to take the CNR's word. How dumb do you think we are? After three blockades and a court ruling in their favour, the mothers got their overpass and kept vigil on the tracks until construction began. It makes me feel proud that we stood up and we said this is important and it's going to happen and we're going to make it happen. It's really great to fight for something and win. Former MLA Shane Simpson remembers it well. He crossed the tracks as a kid growing up in Raymer Housing. It's just really a great story about, about women who did not have power, taking power in order to, to make their community be better and to protect their families. And I was inspired by that. And i done that. I'm very proud to have been part of that. And I hope everybody who wants to change things uses that as an example. The city has since renamed the pedestrian bridge Militant Mothers of Raymer Overpass. Half a century later, five of the original mothers on center stage again, honored by the Vancouver Heritage Foundation for their act of civil disobedience. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Later this month, Vancouver City Council is set to vote on a plan that will dictate the future of neighborhoods that straddle the Broadway line. It calls for significant density and towers to be built along the corridor as construction on the Broadway SkyTrain extension continues. But as Amadagahi reports, if a rally at City Hall today is any indication, it's drawing opposition ahead of this fall's civic vote. 
It is just the beginning of what will surely be a polarizing debate when it comes to Vancouver's plan to start digging out from underneath the weight of its housing crisis. On Saturday, those on one side of this argument appeared ready to start the conversation out loud. We're worried that if this goes ahead as proposed, what we'll end up with is a, uh, a city that people will look at and say, where did Vancouver go? At issue for the roughly one to 200 people gathering at City Hall is the Broadway plan. The reconstruction of more than eight square kilometers of city blocks north and south following the route of the $3 billion subway. The focus of the rally to oppose the rezoning of older low-rise rental buildings in Kitsilano, Fairview and Mount Pleasant to make way for more density in the form of taller buildings. It seems that the new director of planning at City Hall doesn't understand um, the culture here in Vancouver and how long it's taken to build the communities. We definitely need housing, affordable housing in the city. But this is not about affordable housing. This is about developers getting profits. But those in favor of the Broadway plan and its potential to bring improvement in the rental housing stock and homes for more than 50,000 new residents in the area say the opportunity to build and support the new transit project on Broadway cannot be missed. This whole notion of do it somewhere else, there is no other place in our entire region to do the Broadway corridor. The Broadway corridor is is unique, is going to be even more unique in our regional context. There's no other place to do it if we don't do it here. And if we don't do a responsible job of taking advantage of this special place and this special investment in infrastructure, other future generations will look back and say we failed. The fate of the project will come before city councillors for a final decision in the coming weeks. We don't think council should be passing this motion. They're on the last legs of their term. Put this to the voters, at least let voters decide in October. We've been studying this for four years now. I mean, it is time to vote. In Madagahi, Global News. And still ahead, some hope amid the heartbreak. Hearing um, dogs crying in the distance. How some dogs are being rescued from a flooded Manitoba First Nation forced to flee. But first, more worries about growing attacks as Russia's Victory Day marks a key milestone in the war on Ukraine. On Monday, Russia celebrates what's known as Victory Day, when it broke free from the Nazis' grip during the Second World War. But there is concern Moscow could use the day to increase its assault on Ukraine, leading the West to offer more assistance. Global's Reggie Cicchini has the latest. Billions of dollars in weapons and aid have already flowed into Ukraine from Western allies. And on Friday, U.S. President Joe Biden committed to even more. But it will be the last from the U.S., at least for now. Biden has exhausted the funding allotted to presidential powers and is now relying on Congress to fund a $33 billion request for new weapons, which Ukraine needs. And now there's concern Moscow could increase attacks ahead of its Victory Day celebration on Monday, a way to show a false sense of reality to Russians to avoid the devastating losses its military has suffered to date. And while Ukraine has released security footage of counterattacks on Russian equipment, its territory remains under heavy attack. In the east, where rebels hold control, more civilian targets were struck. While in Mariupol, soldiers and civilians remain holed up in a steel plant, though Ukraine now says all women and children have been taken to safety. The defenders inside 
are the final hurdles to Russia taking control of a city, it has all but wiped off the map. Now, this war is also having an impact far beyond Ukraine, as millions of refugees remain unable to return home. The U.S. First Lady spending the Mother's Day weekend meeting and listening to their stories across Eastern Europe. And on Sunday, Ukraine's president is slated to join a video call with G7 leaders, including Prime Minister Trudeau, where discussions over new consequences, including Russian sanctions, will be on the agenda. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. Hundreds of thousands of people across the globe, including here in B.C., took part in a metaphorical and literal journey heading into the light today in support of greater mental health awareness. The annual Darkness into Light five-kilometer trek had participants walking early today into the morning light, all in the name of mental health awareness and suicide prevention. This was the first walk since 2019 because of COVID-19. The funds raised benefit the Crisis Center of B.C., which helps them deliver vital programs in the area. This event first began in support of an Irish charity. Pieta House is a, an Irish charity that provides counselling, free counselling services to people that have been impacted by suicide and self-harm. Uh, Darkness into Light is the annual fundraiser where people go and walk, uh, do a five kilometre walk from the dark um, into sunrise. We're very, very grateful that people are out and about and able to join us on our walk and um, um, shed some light on to um, mental health. All right, still ahead, Yvonne's back with the full forecast and a room shortage that's a sign of success. It seems like um, you can start to feel the buzz and you can start to feel the energy. A BC city with no hotel vacancy and what it says about the recovery after COVID-19 shutdowns. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Another ride-sharing company is operating in B.C., this time in Kelowna. Darian Matassa-Fung has more on how hard it was to get the wheels turning. We're finally launching Kelowna. We're really excited. The community is excited. U-Ride has been in motion since Thursday. It's been great. Our average pickup times have been under 10 minutes. It's been, I, I don't know how to describe it, we're extremely energizing. The people are really excited. Um, all of our drivers are excited, are excited and uh, we're excited as well. This has been needed for a long time here, and um, we're just excited to come in and, and try to make a difference. You ride hails from Thunder Bay, Ontario. Operators say since it began in a smaller market, they are confident their services will match the needs of people in Kelowna. Uh, this is an alternative for people. Uh, you know, they can take U rides, and it should be cheaper than taxis. Uh, and we're really focused on our pickup times as well. We want it to be when you click that button you automatically get assigned with the car and you have someone on the way. So we're going to keep working to keep wait times low and just ensure that you always have a safe ride. As for how traditional taxi companies feel about the move, a driver with Kelowna Cab says it will be interesting to see how the competition unfolds. We're going to sit back and watch how it goes because there's only a certain population here and so many people that need rides. And as far as we're concerned, you know, we've got enough taxis with not just Kelowna cabs, but with all the, as a whole, the taxi business. There's enough taxis, except for at the peak times, of course, that's when it's crazy busy. But other than that, we're just, I would say, oversaturated for the population that we have right now. It's not the first time a ride-sharing company has tried to operate in Kelowna, so we asked U-Ride how it was able to get licensing to operate in the city since it proved so difficult in the past. 
Um, I mean, <laughs> uh, politically, I'm trying to think of a politically correct answer. It was really, really hard for us to get started. Um, the amount of, you know, paperwork and going back and forth to get started was um, insane. Uride is adamant its focus is to provide safe transportation for people with its main intention on preventing impaired driving. Darian Matassa, Fun Global News, Kelowna. All right, and staying outside, let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne Shell for a look at the forecast. And it's windy in some parts, isn't it? Yeah, it is breezy, especially if you're closer to the water this evening. So a heads up right now. We are seeing dry conditions out there, but we've got the wind sustained at uh, 30, but we've got a few gusts to report out of the airport, just over 50 kilometers per hour. It is on the cool side. Temperatures are sitting at 11. We bumped up to close to 12 degrees. A few other spots also seeing breezy conditions into the valley right now with those winds gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour. It shall dissipate this evening with more of a sustained wind closer to 20. Now, the game plan so far, overnight tonight, we've left in a 30% chance of a shower. Temperatures will be cool as we get down to 6 degrees. And for Mother's Day so far, mainly cloudy, 40% chance of a shower, and temperatures up to 12. Now, here's what we are looking at. We've got a system that's off to, towards, uh, just offshore, rather, one just to the south of us, and that's bringing in lots of instability. Overnight, we'll see that cloud cover with the chance of showers all across the island, and it's higher elevations if you're traveling along the mountain passes which she touched upon at the top of the show where we are looking at some snowfall and accumulating higher amounts will be along the Kootenai Pass between 20 and up to 30 centimeters and if you're traveling along the connector the Coquihalla as well as the Allison Pass where we could see some flurries and that'll be for the for areas near uh, the summit rather also we're seeing the potential for some snowfall now all the way through Monday Fort Nelson Munchell Lake Park with accumulating snowfall between 10 and potentially up to 20 centimeters so heads up we're still tracking some snow for the beginning of May and if you're traveling along the mountain passes you'll have to check with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions as well. Different weather picture though along the north coast we've got some breaks in there temperatures up to 10. The northeastern corners for areas near the peace we could still see some wet flurries much of the central interior with a few isolated showers in the mix. It'll be a cooler day tomorrow for all areas into the southern interior leaving in a 30% chance of a shower and that extends into the southeastern corners of the province. Whistler could also see a few wet flurries and then changing over to showers and then along the south coast we are looking at that shower activity a bit more cloud cover for mother's day winds tomorrow up to 20 kilometers per hour we are going to anticipate some breaks though that'll likely be for monday but keep in mind still on the cool side into early next week tuesday wednesday so far with highs up to 14 on and off showers for mother's day a few breaks and a few isolated showers as well Nithu? all right thanks very much yvonne well, flooding that has already forced thousands from their homes in rural Manitoba has brought a heartwarming story to light. Surrounding a player with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Global's Merrick Takash has more. Hey, Mama. It was a rescue mission that will stick with the Blue Bombers running back forever. It was just heartbreaking seeing people having to leave their homes and buses going in and out, evacuating the community members. And then on the other hand, you got these poor innocent animals that are being left behind um, to fend for themselves. Brady Oliveira works with Canine Advocates Manitoba and was rescuing dogs from flooded properties on Peguis First Nation north of Winnipeg. The owners were having to, you know, leave some of their animals behind because they were having to evacuate so rapidly. The entire community of Peguis has been under a mandatory evacuation order since last Saturday, forcing 1,400 people to flee. 
I still get chills just thinking about it, hearing um, dogs crying in the distance and all you see is water surrounding all these houses. It just looks like a big lake and a big river and you hear cries, but you don't know where they're coming from. And it's like, how do you get all the dogs out of here? Oliveira had the help of his off-season training partner, Edmonton Elks wide receiver and Winnipegger Shy Ross. Shy's pretty allergic to dogs, so the fact that he came with me and he before he got into my truck, took a bunch of allergy pills. So um, for his first rescue, he absolutely killed it. The 24-year-old running back is in his third year of volunteering for Canine Advocates Manitoba, an organization that rescues dozens of dogs every week. He didn't know at all, which many people don't realize, um, the overpopulation issue that Manitoba has with dogs that are unwanted. Um, so Ryan asked Brady to come out on one of our runs and Brady was just hooked in right away as soon as he's seen the reality of what uh, is happening in Manitoba. He just felt like he needed to help and he's been helping ever since. Merrick DeCash, Global News, Winnipeg. Just a heartbreaking situation there for Pegwis First Nation. Glad to see some hope amid it all. Do you have any hopeful signs in sports coming up, Barry? Mm-hmm. Well, we saw uh, Brady Oliveira there. The Blue Bombers training camps are starting next week. And uh, Lions, well, they're excited. They have a new owner, and uh, he uh, leads the league in enthusiasm for sure. So we'll introduce you to him if you don't know who he is. And uh, that's all coming up a bit later on in sports. All right. Thanks very much, Barry. And also ahead on the news hour, what's behind some much-needed post-pandemic positivity in an interior city with no hotel vacancy. Some parts of BC's hospitality and accommodation industry right now are having the opposite issues that they experienced during the height of the pandemic. They're extremely busy with hotel availability currently slim in Kamloops, so much so that members of the Vancouver Giants who are meeting the Blazers this weekend in a pair of playoff games are staying in Sun Peaks. Connor Gunn of CFJC News looks at what's behind the very tight vacancy rate in the city. Tourism is music to the ears of Kamloops businesses. Visitors, workers, sports tournaments and staffing shortages have all had an effect on the hotel industry. The hotel vacancy rate is very tight with the summer approaching. Every angle, every aspect of the business has been hit hard. So again, it's a perfect storm and people are fighting it. You know, they're challenging and traveling hard. So weekends, the sports teams, weekday as corporate. So every segment of this business is busy and keeps the hotels occupied. Many hotels are experiencing higher than normal capacity as industry workers are contributing to the room shortage. Now we see like three nights, four nights stays are coming into town, which we always was a one night destination. So it's a good, it's a good transition that we see. I don't see Trans Mountain as a bad thing or workers are a bad thing. It's, it's business at the end of the day. Unlike the last two years or so, people are out and about and businesses are flourishing. Business is absolutely booming. You know, for us, it's, uh, you know, it's our guest rooms, it's our meeting space, it's our restaurant. Uh, everything is really busy right now. Um, and so, uh, you know, we couldn't be more pleased. You know, we were in a really deep hole in this, in this industry over the last two years. Uh, a lot of debt was taken on just to stay in business and stay afloat. So we'll never get that back, but we're excited now that it's coming back. For hotels to be this busy, restaurants, local shops, and people 
can feel the summer excitement in the air. We've got uh, some musicians and so forth downtown. We've uh, got Battle of the Bands coming up. It seems like um, you can start to feel the buzz and you can start to feel the energy. And then when you hear from Tourism Kamloops and from the Accommodation Association that uh, we are booked solid, uh, yeah, definitely it's uh, starting to pick up downtown. Another big tourism driver is the Rocky Mountaineer Rail Tour, and after a two-year absence, it's back once again. They're only in town for a short time. They come in late afternoon or early evening and are gone by the next day, but we're looking at uh, around 100,000 passengers coming through Kamloops once again. And that's good news for the hospitality industry after struggling throughout the pandemic. Connor Gunn, CFJC News. All right, Barry's back with the full sports cast after this break and later set back by salamanders. The National Park Crossing helping the amphibians safely travel to the other side. Celebrate local seafood during the Steveston Spot Prawn and Seafood Celebration. From May 6th through June 5th, meet the returning boats at Fisherman's Wharf to purchase the catch of the day, learn from professional chefs on the culinary stage, and visit participating local restaurants to indulge in the fresh, locally caught seafood. Unleash your inner paleontologist at Science World. A T-Rex, the ultimate predator, walk through the world millions of years ago and discover a new story about the T-Rex, how it lived, hunted, and thrived in its environment for millennia. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. Our BC is brought to you in part by the Salvation Army's Transform, an evening of philanthropy to rebuild Vancouver's downtown east side. All right, Barry's here for all your sports headlines and highlights, and we're starting off with the Whitecaps. Mm-hmm. You know, they have not lost for a couple of weeks. Amazing. Then again, they've not played for a couple of weeks. Uh, so I see glass, what she did there. I'm a glass half full <laughs> guy. I'm so, so half full. And a dash. Half something. <laughs> Thanks, Nithu. The uh, Whitecaps finally get back on the pitch tomorrow afternoon at BC Place. One o'clock start against Toronto FC. Vancouver uh, got last week off because their scheduled game in Seattle was postponed due to the Sounders playing in the CONCACAF Champions League final, which they won. Whitecaps have sunk all the way to the bottom of the entire MLS standings with just one win and a draw through eight games. They know they have to get busy winning right now and are at least refreshed after the week off. Uh, I think the break came at an ideal time for us to reassess, regroup, reevaluate, uh, and to re-energize. And I think that's what these uh, that bye week did for us. Um, we're ready. The energy's been good around the facility. Uh, the environment is very good right now. Um, but all that being said, we need to translate into uh, into the game on the weekend because it's a massive game for us. You know, we had really good intensity, uh, really good training sessions. Uh, we worked on things that I think we need to, to fix. Um, we changed a few things, and um, now we get to put that all into play on Sunday. Lions training camp begins next weekend in Kamloops, and the regular season opener is just five weeks away. By that time, the Lions' new owner, Amar Doman, hopes to get you excited about his football club. Doman's got all of the qualities of a great owner. He's enthusiastic, innovative, and he's got deep pockets and isn't afraid to reach into them to help his club. He's got big plans to make the Lions a player in this market once again. If I can't get this den filled, no one can. And we're going to work our butt off to fill the whole place right to the rafters. If the Lions players can harness the same energy and enthusiasm of their new owner, they just may be lifting the Grey Cup this November. Amar Doman knows there is plenty of work to do to rebuild a fan base that has dwindled noticeably over the past decade. Gone are the days of 30 
plus fans per game that we saw when the Lions last won the Grey Cup in 2011. And his focus is on kids and families. Season's tickets are $80 for, for a kid, you know, and just a little bit more for an adult. And it's a family zone, so it won't be too crazy. These are ideas we're bringing in to try and bring back the youth in here, get them engaged, get them to learn Canadian football, and really come back and love the Lions. We always want a child to leave us something. We're going to give them BC Lions swag. And, you know, the former owners were great, but they looked at that as a cost center. I look at that as your billboard. And we really need to get more visible. And I'm investing in that all over the place. You're going to see flags up all over the city just coming up soon now. We're going to have billboards. We're advertising on, on Global. They do everything with a sense of purpose. There's a real plan here to build the BC Lions, to grow the, you know, to grow the awareness of the BC Lions. A uh, lot of great initiatives around kids and young people. Amar is passionate about that. I think the future is incredibly bright here. Of course, it will help if the Lions can play entertaining, exciting football on the field. But Doman wants to establish a party atmosphere for all home games. And he's going big for the season opener, June 11th. It's going to be fantastic. Two bands outside, a DJ. Then we're going to have One Republic, you know, kick it off for our season here, which is fantastic. We're so fortunate to get that band in Vancouver here. So we're excited. Does One Republic put you over the salary cap a little bit? I think I going to have to sell the three kids to pay for these guys, but uh, it's all worth it. All right, Western League playoffs last night in Kamloops. Game one, West Semis, Blazers and Vancouver Giants. Elise Bolton gives a Kamloops a 2-0 lead early in the second. And Ethan Rowland then will knock in a rebound. Blazers with a 3-0 lead after two. Vancouver did get one back in the third off the deflection by Adam Hall. But the Blazers win this one by the final of 3-1, so they take game one. Game two tonight at 7 o'clock. The series shifts to Langley for game three on Tuesday night. Stanley Cup playoffs. Game three, Avalanche and Predators. Colorado won the first two. Second period, Preds power play. Roman Yossi, who had a whopping 96 points during the regular season as a defenseman, with the screen blast from the point, ties at 3-3. But the Avalanche got a lot of firepower. They respond just a minute later. Nazem Kadri, nice feed to Gabriel Landeskog. Fires the wrister home. 4-3 Avalanche. And a minute after that, Preds goalie Connor Ingram, who was so good in that 2-1 OT loss in Game 2, passes the puck right to Kadri for the easy goal. And the Avalanche win at 7-3. They have a commanding Three games to none lead in the series. In the East, Game 3, Capitals and Panthers. Top seed Panthers finding out. Playoffs are a whole new hockey game. Tied in the second, Marcus Johansson shovels home the rebound. 2-1 Capitals in front. Later in the period, Trevor Van Riemsdyk has a lot of time to pick his spot. And if he was aiming glove side shelf, that was a great shot. 3-1 Caps. Third period, it's the grade 8. Alex Ovechkin scoring the way he almost always scores with a booming one-timer on the power play. Caps beat up the Panthers 6-1, and Washington leads the series two games to one. And just finished, Rangers and Penguins. Game three from Pittsburgh, series tied 1-1. Already 2-1 pit in the first. Evan Rodriguez cashes his own rebound, makes it 3-1 Penguins. Beats Igor Shesterkin, everyone's favorite, to win the Vezina as the top goalie in the NHL. Later in the first, it's Rodriguez again. And he will go post and in. First time this year, Shesterkin's allowed four goals in a period. And he got pulled 
in favor of Alex Gergiev, and it seemed to work. The Rangers got three straight in the second, including this one from Artemi Panarin. So now 4-4 after two, but in the third, the Penguins will get the game winner. Malkin on the forecheck, and it's Langley's Danton Heinen who fires through Gorgiev. 5-4 at that point. They had a couple empty netters. 7-4 Pittsburgh, and they lead the series 2-1. Baseball today. Jays and Cleveland Guardians playing a doubleheader after being rained out last night. Cold and windy. Pretty cold and windy everywhere in the eastern part of the U.S. George Springer off to an excellent start. Rips the double down the line to score two. Jays jumped out to a 4-0 lead in game number one. And then in the fourth, Springer at the plate again. And he will line a base hit to left center. Another run scores three RBI on the day for George, or at least in that game for George. And the days uh, take the opener. 8-3. Let's see what they did in game two. Ross Stripling starting for Toronto. Bottom of the third. Fran Mill Reyes turns on the high fastball, parks it over the fence. Solo shot, and this one was all Cleveland as they split the doubleheader by taking uh, game two, 8-2 the final over the Blue Jays. Well, a Canadian-bred horse named Messier, yes, named after Mark Messier, was one of the contenders at the Kentucky Derby today. But it was a horse who wasn't even in the race until Friday who stole the show. A rich strike struck at Rich as an 80-to-1 long shot to pull off one of the biggest upsets in Derby history. Always put 100 bucks on the long shot, everyone says, after the long shot wins. NBA playoffs, Game 3, Bucks and Celtics, series tied 1-1. Late fourth, Drew Holiday draws the contact. No call, stays with it, gets the friendly roll. Bucks by three. He had 25. Giannis had 42 to lead the Bucks, And they were up by three. Marcus Smart at the foul line. Down two, just four seconds left. Misses on purpose. Celtics need a putback. Three chances. They don't get it. Al Horford finally does put it in. But it's too late. The clock ran out before he released the shot. Bucks hang on 103-101 and now lead the series 2-1. English Premiership, Liverpool taking on Tottenham Hotspur. And it's Spurs who strike first. Harry Kane starts a beautiful three-way pass play. Finished off by Son Hung Min, 1-0 Tottenham. And they're getting nervous at Anfield. They cannot afford to drop points. But in the 74th, Luis Diaz fires it takes a deflection off a Spurs defender and it's in Liverpool get the draw 1-1 but a huge blow to their championship hopes tied with Man City but City play tomorrow and can increase the margin to three points with a win versus Newcastle and third round of the Wells Fargo championship from Washington DC there's that bad weather again rainy windy leader Jason Day nine over 79 today went from 10 under to one under down to 13th place. Keegan Bradley had the low round of the day. If you can see them through all the uh, water droplets there, 367 is best shot to two and a half feet on the par three. 12th made a birdie there. Bradley's at eight under, two shot lead on Max Homa. Nick Taylor of Abbotsford at one under. Corey Connors and Mackenzie Hughes both at even par. There you go. That is it for sports. A lot of water on that course mm, there. Yeah, Thanks. yeah.
not fun to Vancouver play golf weather. in that. I need sunshine. Exactly. All right. Thanks very much for that, Barry. Coming up, I'm sure Barry will have a dad joke associated with this one. Not many people think of salamanders when they think of Banff. Why they should coming up next. Stay with us. This May, join me for the BC Cancer Foundation's Workout to Conquer Cancer. Sign up on your own or as a team. And let's move every day this May and help change cancer outcomes. Register today at workouttoconquercancer.ca. All right, I think we all know it's always a good idea to be on the lookout for wildlife while traveling through Banff, but the creatures officials are asking people to keep an eye out for are a bit smaller than you'd expect. Banff National Park is reminding people that now is the time of year when salamanders start making their way from the forest to the wetlands, often crossing roads and bike paths. People are being asked to be extra cautious along a particular parkway since it's home to the long-toed salamander, a species listed as sensitive by the provincial government. What you're looking for is a pretty small little salamander, so any little bump on the road, which of course is hard to detect, but if you're following the speed recommendations and um, keeping an eye out, especially at night, they're more likely to be traveling at night. Um, you might be able to see them reflecting a little bit in your lights. And they say it is best to avoid touching them since they have very sensitive skin. I thought you meant they were sensitive because people are running them over. That too, I'm sure. Get Absolutely. sensitive to that, like That's enough already. Exactly, exactly. Well, enough already for us as well. That's <laughs> all guess. the time we have for tonight. Thanks enough very much me. for sharing some of your night with us. We love to have you, Barry. And Kamil Kermali will be here at 11. Have a great night, all. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.